I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. All right. Well, what's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. And like always, I'm joined by my husband and co-host, Josiah. Josiah, how you doing? I am excited. It's a joy to be with you in the studio today. My heart's beating (laughs) fast. My mind is alert. I'm ready to have some fun. How about you? I'm ready to have some fun too. And for the people who are just tuning in, just so you know what's going on, new episodes launch every Monday morning. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, grab your cup of coffee, get on that treadmill, however you want to tune into what we're talking about and what young adults are doing in the world and how we can become better leaders in that process. So thank you for rating, subscribing, reviewing, and sharing. This helps us reach more listeners. So get the message out at youngadults.today. And Josiah, without further ado, maybe want to introduce who our special returning guest is. I've only had a few of these, and he's one of our favorite authors, one of our favorite people, and just a spitfire of energy and wisdom in that process. So Josiah, who is on the other microphone today? It's going to be a treat for us and for the listener to be joined today by Ken Coleman. I'll introduce him in just a second, but Ken, how are you today? Oh, I feel like the Spitfire. I needed to do something like that. Like when someone calls you a Spitfire, then you, you, I got to make a noise and that's all I could come up with. So I hope I didn't make anybody pull off the side of the road or spill coffee, but I kind of would get a little enjoyment out of that too. There you go. See, (laughs) keep them alive. This this one's going to be a memorable one. And Ken Coleman is the number one selling, best-selling author of The Proximity Principle, Mm -hmm. as well as the host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The Ken Coleman Show. As America's career coach, he helps callers discover what they do best so they can do work they love and produce the results that matter most to them. This is really exciting stuff, you guys. And whether you're looking for a complete career change or you're unsure about what the, the steps that are next to take, Ken will help you get unstuck and on the path to meaningful work. And our path has crossed with yours, Ken. Mine was last week. I got to yeah. be down at Ramsey Solutions yeah. and say a quick, hey, Yeah, that was fun. And um, yeah, I come walking around the corner uh, <laughs> to come out to say hi to somebody. And, and, you know, it's like when you see somebody that you know, but it's been a while, you know, and I meet a lot of people. I'm very blessed to, to get to meet a lot of people every day. And I was like, I, I met eyes with Josiah and I was like, Hey, and it was like, my brain was catching up. It was like, I know, I know that guy. I've met him before. And, and it was just really fun. It was a total surprise to see you. And uh, interestingly enough, I get a text later that night from a guy by the name of Gabe Lyons. And you were in town to go to one of his events. Yes, sir. And, and Gabe and I went to college together. I was his best man. He was my best man. I don't Stop. think you know that. Fun. And so I get a text from him. He goes, hey, check out Josiah's story. Uh, he mentioned both of us today. How weird. All these years later, we met as a 19-year-old and an 18-year-old. And you were uh, you put both of us in your Instagram story. And, and I want you to know that because we were both touched that it was like how weird that we got to impact the same guy, same day, different places, and how God brings us together for something like that. It was just really kind of a cool God moment for us. And you were a part of it. So I'm just sharing that with you. 
Kim, that is amazing. That's a whole another side of the story that I didn't know. I just think <laughs> back to 2017, proposing at the Grand Canyon. And then the next week, right. we showed up at Grace Church for a marriage and money event. We weren't even married yet. And yep. we won 250 bucks from Dave Ramsey's money. And you <laughs> awarded it to us. I'm the one that gave it to you. you yes, did, you did. Yes, and we went parasailing that. in Hawaii with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh no my change. gosh. You guys, so after we're done recording, I, I, you owe me a couple of picks. <laughs> oh, we have some. No worries. Yes, deal. Easy. <laughs> I, I want to see how the two two fifty was spent. Easy and all right. Kind of, kind of Poly Beach, right? Is that yes, you say it, it yep. was. <laughs> and can I look at then we got married on our honeymoon? I brought one question with when we had our oh, first my daughter. Gosh. When we had our. Part. When, when we had our first daughter, you wrote Proximity Principle. And then our silent guest in studio today what? is our uh, five-week-old, Avalon. Yep. And she's chilling with us today. But And now we've and got, now a, we got oh this book. Oh, my gosh. So I love you. babies. I love babies. Nobody wants to look at the cover of that book. They want to see baby Avalon. <laughs> okay. By well, the way, I, I should point I, out. I should point I, out here's that if, if I ever get the chance to meet any of your listeners, uh, uh, or anybody who's bought the book, I, I just warning you folks ahead of time. There's no way I look that good in real life. There's just <laughs> no way. I don't know what the team did on that book cover, but I look at that and I go, I, that, that's, that's just going to be a letdown for people. It really is. Well, they I have such read a it. A lot of people post on Instagram books and you never know, did they actually read it? But I read it. We're going to have a great conversation. And Ken, what do you say we help a lot of young leaders? Let's do it find work that matters. And, you know, yeah. we're on a college campus yesterday and the room was filled with a hundred percent of young people who don't know what their purpose is yet. So can we go there with this yeah. conversation and talk? Yeah, about we got to figure out how to get me in that room. There you go. Praise God. Let's bring you to Minnesota. <laughs> Come on, man. And if we can't do that, I'll zoom in there and let's, let's set these people free. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's kick it off right here with Ken. So we're recognizing that so many college students and so many young professor, uh, professionals are the ones that are tuning in, they're listening. And your story is one where you have your dream job right now, but it wasn't always that way. And can you just share what it looks like when you felt stuck, couldn't sleep and weren't satisfied and you were longing for so much more. Like many of our listeners probably feel very similar to what you've walked through. Can you go there with us? Yeah, you know, it's the opening story in the first chapter of the book. And I take the reader to 2.30 in the morning. It was just another night, same script. Mm. Couldn't wow. go to sleep because I was miserable. My heart was aching. And as a result of my heart aching and my heart being empty and, and confused, um, desperation sets in and your brain can't shut off. And the reason I was in that place is because at the age of 16, I felt like I received, you know, great information, a, a calling that I was supposed to go into public office one day and serve my fellow men and women uh, of this country in a public service political role. So I go guns blazing towards that. Uh, by the age of 22, I'm working for the governor of Virginia. I'd worked on several campaigns and I created a nice little political resume and then decided to get out and go get a business resume, which back then that was the playbook. Mm -hmm. yep. You know, have a real life, you know, resume, not just all politics, get into business leadership, do something there and find a place and then run. So I'm, I'm doing that, and I'm working for leadership guru John Maxwell at the time. Wow. 
and I'm in a district, a neighborhood that I picked out, you know, the whole nine yards. And I'm going to make this really short. And so I begin to, over a year or two period, begin to question the passion wow. for politics. And I get that call every day on the show. Ken, I've lost my passion. And, wow. um, and by the way, I hadn't lost my passion. I just didn't have any juice for that particular area. So I began to examine that and got clear that that was true. But then the problem with that on the other side of that is what the crap am I supposed to do? Right. You know, this is, have I wasted? Mm. And by the way, I'm 33 at the time, 33-ish. And, and so I'm going, well, have I wasted 10, 12 years? And you begin to run that soundtrack. Oh, I could have been so much further ahead. I could have got a degree in broadcasting. I could have made connections. I could have been here, here, here. I got a wife and three kids under the age of three. I got to provide for them. I'm probably too old. Like that's the soundtrack. So there's so many stories in this journey. And Josiah, you know a good bit of them. But bottom line is I'm I'm there and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I began to do the search and the awareness exercises and work with some great coaches who uh, I knew personally, and they gave me some great exercises. And I did a deep dive over about a six month period of wrestling with who I really am. And if it's not politics, what is it? And then came to the conclusion it was broadcasting, but again, terrified, no degree, no experience, very little connections, but I went after it and uh, I, I took too long. I drugged my butt around for a couple of years in fear and doubt, a little bit of pride. And as a result, I learned the agony that I coach now every day on the air and that I write about in the book. And I can now look back on it and go, I am where I am because of what I experienced. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a unique perspective that I know what it's like to lay awake at night and not be able to answer the question, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? And the, the, the high level answer is I am supposed to be working on purpose. I believe that every human being was created with two areas of purpose, relational purpose. So I'm a husband and a father and a son and all the things. But what is my professional purpose? And you cannot extrapolate the two. You can't keep them separate. And by the way, the data bears this out. A person who is on purpose and feels uh, feels fulfillment in their work is going to be better at home. Wow. Because they're not dragging all that crap home with them. You show me a dude who feels like his work doesn't matter, and then he gets on the slippery slope to feeling like he doesn't matter. He's going to come home and treat his wife in a way that he never intends to do. He might have an affair. He might jump into addiction because he's trying to fill the hole in his soul. And the creator of the universe created us to work. In other words, created us to contribute. So all that said, that's the answer. I walked it out. I walked out the misery and I got to the point where I was being miserable and I was willing to be uncomfortable. And that's the real issue. People are more comfortable being miserable than they are uncomfortable. Wow. So I'm out to combat that. Ken, that's amazing. And I love that you went there to that sleepless night when you did feel stuck because I can relate with that. And I think a lot of the mm-hmm. listeners can to maybe, maybe things were really challenging. I remember um, being 16 years old, discovering what an iPhone was, downloading the podcast app, listening to Dave Ramsey, mm-hmm. not taking out any student loans, 
discovering the call of God in my life to be a pastor and to reach the next generation, starting out in young adult ministry. And after about five years, I had kind of sensed that, man, there's more in me and I don't want to do something different, but I feel like I was maybe outgrowing the role, if that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. you reference in the book that sometimes people are in the right role, but maybe in the wrong location. And then it can kind of Mm -hmm. feel like there's more in you that's dying to get out and you have some hopes and dreams and vision. And I think in the process, it's easy to to either draw back and let fear, let those dreams die Mm -hmm. or to rise up and take some steps of faith. And it is scary. It is, you know, running towards the roar and not away from the roar. And that's kind of counterintuitive, but can one of the things you wrote again in this book that was touched on in proximity principle Mm -hmm. changed my life. And it was this idea of turning rejection, this sting, this personal hurt, this thing that can send you in in, as an optimistic achiever, as an enthusiast, (laughs) a little bit of discouragement can just send me into a down a downspin of discouragement and disappointment. Mm -hmm. And you say to turn this rejection into redirection that maybe no, just means not here or not now. Can you tell that story or give insight to the person who's stuck? They're, They're listening to this in hopes that maybe they can just keep going. What would you say to the person who's maybe facing disappointment? Yeah, you know, I would say that this is a context sport. So living on purpose is a context sport. I got two boys in football right now, and, and I live in the Southeast where football is right up there with church, okay? It's just <laughs> a way of life. And, and you know what? You know, I remember the first day I took my son, my middle son, Chase, to play tackle football. He was a sixth grader, and so we held him off as long as we could. And so we take him to football, and it's his first tackle. He's played flag football. And so he's getting nervous. I can see him in the car. You know, we know our kids, and you can see he's all tensed <laughs> up, but he's all worried about going to practice and getting hit. And, and I said, buddy, you okay? And I knew the answer. He's like, oh, dad, I'm really nervous. I go, what are you nervous about? He goes, getting hurt. And I said, getting hurt or getting hit? And he goes, well, both. And I go, okay, so let me just tell you right now, you are going to get hit and it is going to hurt, but you will shake it off and get back up and get right to it. And I'm telling you, you will get hit and it is going to hurt. So here's the deal. Just know that. So we get out of the car, he goes into practice and, you know, they do the little introductory stuff. And then five minutes in, first drill, it's a one-on-one drill called Oklahoma, where you just put two guys in the middle, everybody's around and they just, they say hut and they just hit each other. They just learn how to hit. Well, let me tell you something. He drew a kid that was twice his size and I could just see it coming. And you know what? He got rocked. I mean, this kid ran him over and I saw Chase lay on the ground and I just knew that he was seeing stars. He probably didn't know what his last name was. He got (laughs) rocked. But you know what he did? He laid there for a second. Coaches leaned over him, kind of checked on him. You know what he did? He slowly got up, kind of groggy, you know, whatever, shook it off and went to the back of the line. At the end of the practice, he talked about it. And he's like, you know what, dad, it wasn't that bad. And I, that's the, that's the story. I, I'm telling the story because I want people to hear that the fear of rejection, I want you to, I want you to know that rejection's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it stings, but it goes away. Hmm. And I would tell you that I would rather you experience the sting of rejection than the ache of regret. 
Oh. I'm going to say that again. Oh my gosh, Ken. <laughs> Somebody needs to write that down. It's good. Now listen, I would rather you face the sting of rejection than the ache of regret. Mm-hmm. Because there's, there's the reality that if we don't go for anything, you won't feel the sting of rejection. Right. That's so good. Good for you. If you just stay in a padded room mm-hmm. and on the bleachers of life, I get great news. You won't feel the sting of rejection. Right. However, when you get to the end of your journey and throughout your entire journey, when your soul is craving a contribution that the creator of the universe put on your heart and you don't answer that craving to contribute in the unique way that he designed you to contribute, your soul will ache and you will be filled with regret. And so what I would tell you is I've been stung more than you could possibly imagine. It sucks. There's no way around it. I'm not trying to romanticize it. I'm just telling you the truth. Um, it will sting. But what you do is you look at that no and you go, to them it's a no. But no feels very final. That person's telling you no, but for you it's not a no. It's very simple. It's a not here, mm-hmm. not now. That's what the answer is. And then you redirect. You redirect. Oh, I love that baby. I wish I could hold that baby while I was doing the interview. That'd be so great. So here's the deal. When I get when I hear the no's and the rejections, yes, it stings and it's okay that it stings. And let's let the sting wear off, but then let's keep on moving. And so what do we do? We turn left, we turn right. And you know what a mouse does in the maze? The mouse just walks forward till it bumps its nose and then it goes left, it goes right, keeps following the smell of the cheese. Right. That's what you do. You keep moving. And, there, and, and, and let me tell you this. If you don't keep moving, if you allow rejection to paralyze you, you'll never get where God has you to be. I'm just wow. going to tell you that you just never will. Because if, if I'm not in the right place, the right time cannot and will not happen. Yeah. Ken, I'm so glad you went there. Literally when we were in the room yesterday, speaking with young adults, started out with the first three people. What is your biggest like prayer that you have for your life? And, it, and what do you need to start asking God for in a bigger, like get in the prayer room, get in the prayer closet, take it to the Lord. What does he need to call you out and up in? And how does he need to encourage you? Or what is your next, what is your next step? And everybody that responded, they were all young men, honestly. And they all said, I'm struggling with my purpose and the next step because I don't want to, they're out of fear. They're afraid they're going to miss a step. But I'm like, well, if you're not even going to take that first step, you're going to miss everything. And we know that there are challenges along the way of that journey. There are obstacles along that way. There are roadblocks. There are hurts, hurdles, hangups that kind of can, you know, tear us down maybe three steps forward and five steps back. We feel like, like at times, but there's something that said, assume there are challenges ahead. So expecting the fact that there are obstacles and challenges along every single one of our paths and ways in our, in our future dream job, or maybe in our current dream job, can you talk about this? Like assume there are challenges ahead. Well, let me just tell you right now, the, the analogy, the metaphor that I like to use in the book is the mountain, the seven stages that we unpack in the book from paycheck to purpose it implies that this is in fact a climb. And so when I'm climbing or anyone is climbing, what are we doing? I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. It's got challenges. You know, I'm obsessed because of the metaphor, because I'm a content creator. Um, I, I watch these documentaries on Everest. I'm obsessed with them. Now, I'm not a mountain climber. I have zero desire to be cold. You know what I mean? Like my definition of cold is playing out in the snow for about 45 minutes with my kids or tubing down a hill because I can't ski with a crud. And then I go inside and I uh, take a really warm shower and bundle up and have a cup of hot chocolate. Like that's, I don't like the cold. 
But these mountain climbers that are climbing like Everest, we're talking about they can die. They can die on the side of that mountain. We're talking about extreme temperatures. And then we're talking about extreme weather conditions, not just the temps, but the conditions and how they've got this path and they're trying to climb up this mountain and weather can come in at a moment's notice. The path that they thought was there can close. Somebody gets hurt, equipment fails. So we all know there are challenges. Mm -hmm. So we might as well just accept the fact that anything worth doing, any mountain worth climbing is going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. and, and so you might as well just embrace it because I'm going to tell you something. If you get anywhere and there's no struggle, you're not going to appreciate it the way you would if you struggled. That's right. Wow. I, I never want to let this struggle, you know, because I think we get stronger from the struggle. So I never want to back down because there's going to be a struggle because there could be such great reward on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, listen, 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 there's no strength absent of the struggle. I don't know if you've seen the old parable about an old man walking down a country road and he's just moseying along and something catches his eye and a tree next to the fence on the side of the road. He sees a butterfly trying, struggling to get out of a cocoon. Mm -hmm. So he inches closer to it and he gets down, and he looks at it and he can see at the very end of the cocoon he sees those two little legs. He's two little spindly legs trying to get out and they're struggling. It's working hard and he's watching it. And then all of a sudden the legs stop and he gets concerned. He looks in closer and then the legs start slowly moving and he realizes this thing's exhausted. I'm going to help. Oh. So he grabs the cocoon. Come on. You know where this is going, yes. mama. Yes. Right. And he opens the cocoon and the butterfly comes out and immediately crashes and dies minutes later and he feels awful and what he did is he tried to alleviate the struggle and in doing so he robbed the butterfly of the strength needed to get out of the cocoon which would then allow it to fly and live and be its true self i can't think of a better metaphor than that when it comes to what the struggle does for us the struggle wow. strengthens us right for the very thing we were created to do to fly, to be that butterfly. Right. Well, and you know, that, that speaks to the parent, the young new parent in me. We, we have two under two. I don't know how you did three under three. <laughs> we had two under two, but these girls, I want them to have grit. I <laughs> pray that they have strength. And, and I see this a lot where maybe people's parents did pad the the walls a little bit, oh, yeah. and both physically and literally, but also figuratively. And we want them to, to fail in a way that's not harmful, but if they never fail, they're never going to grow. Mm -hmm. And along the process, like we want them to launch out and impact people mm -hmm. and be a light in a dark world. And along the way, they're going to meet such amazing people. Mm -hmm. And my question is about people with this. When it comes to connecting, as you say, in, in getting in the proximity of the right people, people like professors, professionals, producers, um, peers, and mentors, my question to you is, Ken, do we already know enough people in our given network, or do we need to go out there and, and connect more and make more connections, or is it both? Yes and yes. We know enough people to get started on the journey. That's good. We really do. But we must also get our antennas up, right? And I think of the old, uh, you guys are youngsters. I think of the original RoboCop movie 
I haven't seen the remake, but you know, it was so cool. I remember watching it going, man, that's so cool. And he had this, he's half man, half robot. And he's got this helmet on and he's got this, they, the, the directors shoot, you know, they let you see what Robocop is seeing. And he's on the scene of a crime and he's moving around like this. And he's like, and he's identifying good, bad, you know, uh, all this kind of stuff. If we lived like that, and I'm not talking about being social vampires, where we go in, bite somebody in the neck, suck the blood out of them, what we need, what we want, and we leave them in a heap and go for the next victim. I'm not talking about that. What I am saying is be aware. When you go to your kid's soccer game, are you on your phone the 30 minutes before the game, catching up on Facebook and Uncle Larry and his gout, and then your <laughs> college friend who you really don't care about, you're just comparing your life to theirs? Or are you talking to the other moms and dads that are sitting there and just being interested in them and having conversation with them? And what you don't realize is they turn into a connection that may or may not turn into something but the reality is, is that we know plenty of people, but we also got to be out looking and we got to be strategic. That's just personal that could develop into something, but then professional. You know, look, if I'm an, a, vet, a video editor and I'm young and I'm fresh out of school and I got my first job, well, man, I'm telling you what, I want to find out where other video editors are hanging out. I'm going to show up and I'm going to be social. I'm not going to go, hey, here's my resume. As soon as there's something open over here, we give me a call. That feels gross. I want to shower after I hear that. It's disgusting. But if I'm, hey, What's going on? How long you been doing? Where'd you go to school? What's your favorite, you know, blah, 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 whatever video editors talk about? I'm already over my head, right? But the point is, is that we've got to be walking around looking for opportunities to connect to people. Because when we connect to people and we're interested in them, they get interested in us. And you have no idea how that may turn into something down the road. So you've got to expand your web of connections. And you do that by just being interested and intentional. Get the get the antenna up. Pay attention. Yeah, that's so good. Ken, here's a question. Um, dealing with purpose, what would, how would you encourage the person who truly wants to live a God their God given life that He has for them from paycheck to purpose? And how would you encourage the person who's 20 years old trying to figure out what career path do I take? What are my spiritual gifts? What am I naturally good at? What would you say is their first next step? Yeah. First thing is this first stage that we write about in the book. Let's get clear. So I'm going to simplify what is the most complex, scary question in the world. And I mean this. What should I do with my life? It's overwhelming. For a lot of overwhelming. <laughs> it's overwhelming for everybody. So here's the deal. What if we look inward and we look at our indicators? Mm. You guys know this. This is my core methodology. Get clear is simply this. Figure out what you do best. Hard skills and people skills. They're called soft skills. Hard skills, people skills. I could throw one other thing in there that would be good character traits. Wow. What do you do best? Let's see, the creator of the universe gave you talent. Mm -hmm. And let's think of it as raw clay. I don't know. I'm a real nerd and I love history. So I've watched real potters make pots. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Most people just watch Ghost with Patrick Swayze, right? But the idea <laughs> is, is that there's a lump of clay and they put it on the potter's wheel right? And, they, and then they take the motion of the wheel, water in the hands, and they shape what is nothing more than an inanimate object, mm -hmm. and they shape it into something that is highly usable. That's what God gave us when it, wow. when it comes to talent. Mm -hmm. So we can take the talent, develop them into sharpened skills. Now, think of your talent and skills as premium tools, okay? Mm -hmm. Like power tools, not mm -hmm. hand saws, okay? Power tools. Josiah, you like some power tools, right? 
Praise what's God. Your, One of what's us your, does. Okay, you do? You got more tools than I do. Okay, great. So let's do this, Michael. What's your favorite power tool? Oh, I say um, a power saw. Anything I can do building, anything hey, like that. Hey, okay, power saw. Imagine trying to do all the stuff you do with that power saw with the old-fashioned hand saw. Gosh. Hand on it. Yeah. So here's the deal. That's when we try to operate in our weaknesses. Dang. When we when we use our talents and our skills, we're working with that power saw. Boom, done. And, and it's like, man, that's amazing. Now, that's the first indicator, talent. Think of it as the power tool. Now we go, well, what do we use the power tool for? What's the work that we love? That's passion. The root word of passion in the Latin is pati, P-A-T-I, and it actually means to suffer. So this is why I took the word passion, which isn't a new word, and I applied it to work we love. Yeah. Because if I love the work I do, I'm willing to suffer injury. Come on, Micah, when you're building something. I still have got them all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm willing to suffer patience. I'm willing to suffer hardship. I'm willing to suffer being rejected. Come on. Dang. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to suffer all of it. Why? Because it is work that I believe must be done. And I was just hardwired to love this type of work. All right. Now, the last indicator, mission. All work creates results. Okay. I need to make sure that the work that I love is also producing results that matter deeply to me. An example, when I first got into broadcasting, I was doing sports broadcasting. I love broadcasting. I'm passionate about being on a microphone, speaking and communicating to people. But the results that really give me juice isn't entertainment through sports talk, even though I love sports. It is equipping and encouraging people, coaching people live. So once I got that piece dialed in, talent, passion, and mission were in alignment. So here's your purpose statement in one simple sentence. And everybody listening, I want you to pause. I want you to write it down because this is your purpose. To use what you do best. To do work you love. To produce results that matter to you. I'm going to say it again because it's so freaking simple. I'm giving the formula to you. Use what you do best, talent. To do work you love, passion. To produce results that matter deeply to you mission. When talent, passion, and mission are in alignment, it's like a blinking neon arrow into the world at work where you can see multiple jobs, multiple career paths, and even multiple dream jobs. Because when I know what my sweet spot is, right, I got that in alignment, that arrow, it's going, this is where I'm supposed to be. People will watch you and marvel at you and they will say things like, you were born for this. And you can say, you bet (laughs) your sweet booty I was. I was born to do this. And we, and we like, well, did somebody just luck into that? No, it's called intelligent design and you were designed that way. So figure out that. And we've got an online assessment for your young audience. It's only 30 bucks. It'll be the best 30 bucks you've ever spent. And it helps you get clear, which is stage one. And then this book is the guidebook up the mountain. But this assessment will fill out your purpose statement after it reveals to you your top three talents, your top three passions, work you love, and then your primary missional driver in your work. Because when you know that, now you see it everywhere. So that's the answer. That's what I would tell them. Get clear first. The career and the direction take care of itself. But I need to know the mountain first. Then I figure out how to climb the mountain. But I got to know what mountain I'm supposed to climb. So good. The mountain comes first, then the method. And we're talking with Ken Coleman, brand new book. This one's already been read. 
from paycheck to purpose. We hope that you'll check it out. And as we go into overtime, can we want to honor your time, ask you one final question. Okay. If you could ask Micah and I anything today, what would you ask us? When was the last time that you guys sat down as a couple and shared your individual dreams and then your collective dream as a couple? Ooh, you want to go ahead? I think aspects of it were even last night. Like yep. we were up late, the girls Good. were up late, and we were talking about, and Micah said something to me and she actually prayed over me. She goes, Lord, I pray that you would help Josiah realize that he is a husband and that he is a dad, but that you've still given him individual dreams. Right. So I, I still am developing some of the mm -hmm. individual stuff, but we often do talk about the collective dreams. Yeah. So we always realize that there's a he, she, and a we in that process. So what we do every year on June 30th, which is our anniversary, we usually try to hit up an island or a beach or something Praise somewhere God. for four to five days. And we sit and we look out what God has done. We look at our one-year plan, five-year, 10-year, and beyond, beginning right. with the end in mind. We did this on our honeymoon. We began with the end in mind. And we go back, we look at, so year, like we went back to year two during year three. We looked yep. at year three when we celebrated year four. And we're like, what has God done? Look how faithful he's been. So we praise him in that process. And what do we need to change? And how do we need to continually move forward and set bigger, larger, more audacious goals in prayer, in ministry, in marriage, in our family? And um, it's amazing to see what he's done and how in a short amount of time. So we've only been married for four years, but dreams of a, a home, children, all those things kind of add up. And so each year we take a big inventory, which like is like a four to five page word document and broke it down. Are we fulfilled awesome. in our marriage? Are we fulfilled in ministry? Are we fulfilled as individuals? And um, how do we need to hold each other accountable? And what do we need to do as a he, a she, and a we? And how do we um, live the best life that God has given us and not waste time in the process with kingdom-minded um, mindset, but also kingdom-minded urgency in our hearts. So, yep, that's what we do. <laughs> love it. I love it. That's a great answer. Oh, wow. Great well, question. Well, Ken, thanks for being one of our returning guests that's on right. the Young Adults Today podcast for investing yep. in young leaders, young pastors, and just helping us move from where we are, getting yep. unstuck and going towards purpose. So we deeply appreciate your time today. Well, you guys are awesome, and thanks for having me. You guys are a fantastic couple. God's going to do some amazing things in you and through you, and I can't wait to see and celebrate. Excellent. Well, we receive that. And for the listener tuning in right now, you can find out more about Ken Coleman, Ramsey Solutions, and From Paycheck to Purpose when you connect with us on our website at youngadults.today, as well as across all of our other social media platforms at Young Adults Today. Again, this is Micah and Josiah signing off with Ken Coleman. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Plug me in. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.